but the physicality of theater and how you use your shape and use your movements really opened up my mind to the instrument you use when you're on stage and how it can affect you. You know, affect the audience, I should say. Welcome to Pure Theater Podcast number two. I'm Rodney Lee Rogers, and you were just listening from a little snippet from today's conversation with R.W. Smith, better known around here as Smitty. Smitty's an actor, writer, director. He's kind of done it all. He's also been a core member, one of the original four, of Pure's core ensemble that was founded close to 20 years ago by our fearless leader, Sharon Gracie. That group includes Sharon Gracie, myself, David Mandel, and of course, Smitty. That ensemble has now grown to almost 25 members, most of which we hope to have on the show in the oncoming months. Up next at the theater, starting January 11th, is the Lehman Trilogy. Be sure to check out the dates on the website. It's an extraordinary show. And that cast includes the aforementioned R.W. Smith and David Mandel, and is rounded out by long-term core member Michael Smallwood. We'll get the entire cast together as the show approaches to talk about the show and also get some behind-the-scenes look at the making of the Lehman Trilogy. But for today, here's an interview I did with Smitty about two months ago. I've known Smitty for years, but it's always surprising when you sit down with someone you think you know. There's always something new to learn. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. I did. I did. I, I grew up, actually, I grew up on campus in Clemson. Hmm. My, what I can remember, I actually spent the first four years of my life in Texas on an Air Force base, but I don't really remember a lot of that. And then when I was four, my parents moved to Clemson. And so I grew up in married housing. And so I, I was, and actually this connects back to theater, but I grew up in married housing on the Clemson campus and where we lived was right up next to the building where my parents would take a lot of classes. And so I grew up like they would be interning at different places on campus and they'd have to bring their kid along. And so I sat in on college classes when I was five and just, you know, and this is pre phone or video games. You yeah. could, So I had a piece of paper and a pen and just would draw while my mom was learning about nutrition or my dad was learning about plants and his agronomy degree. And then we moved to Conway near Myrtle beach. And I, the first time I ever did theater was in high school, Conway high school, my senior year, they did uh, what do you call it? Uh, 12 angry men. But uh, my, I mean, this is 1988. And she was progressive, I guess, for the time, because she made it 12 Angry Jurors. She was going to cast women in it. Mm -hmm. And I, I got the lead in that. And then she asked me to do Glass Menagerie next. And so I did that. And so I kind of got the bug. But then I went to college and I auditioned for a play and I didn't get into it. And I was a snotty little kid full of myself. And I'm like, well, I'm done with this. So you, that was it for you? you said yeah. That, oh, that's mm -hmm. And it was, shall we say, Clemson. You were all the way full circle back. I was back at Clemson and I was at Clemson Players and I auditioned for a play, didn't get a call back or anything. And I was just full of myself. And and that full, full of myself also led itself to not being a very good academic student. Uh, so I failed out of Clemson after two years. Wow. Ironically, the same thing my dad did. Interesting. And after I failed out, I went into the Air Force, which my dad did. And then after he got out, he went back to Clemson to finish degree, which I did as well. So that stubbornness lasted, lasted a while. So it, like when you said, I'm not doing this, so you were serious. I was serious. Yeah. So I grew up in these houses on Clemson's campus called prefabs. 
There's these square metal buildings. And uh, like I said, I looked out onto what was called the P&A building. Mm-hmm. So when I went back to school in 97 to finish my, I took an intro to theater class and I go to where they had built a new theater called the Brooks Theater at Clemson. And I go to the building and it's literally sitting where my house was when I grew up. I walk into my intro to theater class and the view out of the window was the view out of my bedroom growing up. And I've been doing theater ever since. That is insane. Mm-hmm. I never knew that. Oh, if you come to Clemson with me, I always take people over there and tell this story. Yeah. And that's and like, so did you feel like at that moment, like stars aligned? Like in other words, yeah. that really much told you, okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm yeah, back. it really did. Well, how did you feel about the stubbornness at the time? Like, did you feel... The Air Force got rid of that for me. Oh, they took as they do. Yeah. Yeah. The Air Force got rid of that. And I actually, and I enjoyed the Air Force and it was yeah. something I needed. I needed to grow up. Yeah. And I lived, you know, I lived in Columbus, Mississippi the whole time, but I was an air traffic controller and loved my job. But, and I almost thought about doing it when I got out, but they had, there's a whole thing that they had hired a bunch of them and there's no job openings. So I actually took a job overseas so I could make some tax-free money and save money to come back to college. Mm-hmm. And so I moved to Clemson from the Marshall Islands on the equator down north of New Zealand directly to Clemson to go back to school. What was that like? Which one? Marshall, the Marshall Islands. It was amazing. Yeah. I was on an island that was three miles long by one mile wide. And the sun rose and set on the Pacific Ocean. Yeah, it was, it was a pretty amazing place to spend a year. But there's only like 150 people on the whole island and it gets old. Yeah, yeah, I would think. Yeah. But it's fascinating. Oh, it was gorgeous. It was amazing. And actually, we've had armed, armed Forces Radio. I actually, I did college radio at Clemson. I did college radio in Mississippi at a college near where our base was. And I did Armed Forces Radio while I was out there, too. So I was still getting, you know, this connection to right. some kind of performance, yeah. if you will. Well, also inquiry, like trying to trying mm-hmm. to find out about things. That, that sounds fascinating. So you get back to Clemson. Mm-hmm. What was the first show? You 27 wagons full of cotton tennessee williams show and i went and auditioned and i was i got the role and it just clicked now i will say when i just read the sides i walked in and i had not i didn't have training i hadn't done theater in forever and i just read the sides and basically i ripped off Kiefer sutherland and a few good men i had just watched that movie and uh-huh. it just felt like that so i just ripped it off and did an impression of him saying these lines and they were just blown away because they were just college kids. Yeah. But I made it, but I made a choice and yeah. I went in with a choice and I learned later that's what I did basically. But I got that part and then I started getting a lot of roles there while I was at Clemson and, and fell in love with it. Um, now I didn't go to get theater though. I yeah. was going to finish my wild, my wildlife biology degree and I did an internship in Charleston in 1998 at Fort Johnson. Mm. I spent a summer working with Clemson University was doing studies with black sea bass and flounder and, and red drum. And so I was just working with that. And I realized these people make no money. Right. It's so theater. <laughs> if I'm not going to make any money, yeah, exactly. I had fallen go. back in love with theater again. And I'm like, I'm going to go do this. Yeah. I'm going to go do it. And now I had the drive and the passion and, I also had this support because I'd gotten back together with my now wife. We had broken up, <coughs> excuse me, while I was in the Air Force. And so we got back together. And so she was all in with me. And so I was like, I need to get training. And so mm-hmm. that's when I started auditioning for grad schools and ended up going to LSU. 
other tigers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A Death Valley to the vast <laughs> Death Valley. But another thing is, though, you know, I made amazing friends in the Air Force. And when I went back to Clemson and this theater group, some of the best friends I've ever made was there. Then I go to LSU. Same thing. Just great people. Um, got to work with amazing companies. Got to work. I, You know, I we were talking earlier. I did Death of a Salesman when I was 33. I got to play Biff Lohman. But I was working with the Citigroup out of New York. And I'm doing Viewpoints mm-hmm. version of death of a salesman. This show really literally begins with 50 salesmen on stage going through the motions of selling products. And then they all collapse. And there's one standing there. Mm. This concept of tonight, you get to hear, you get to hear Willie's story. But if you came tomorrow night, you'd hear John or Nancy or whatever. That's fascinating. Yeah. Process wise, that's such an interesting, I mean, that's, it's an interesting that viewpoints to be introduced. How did it change where you had been up until that moment? So, you know, very much, you know, as I got to grad school, it was still just, you know, my, my early acting classes, they definitely went into your basic breaking down beats, Stanislavski bass, but then got really in depth more with that. Um, in, in my grad school with John Dennis, one of the best acting teachers I've ever had. One of those guys you just always wanted to please, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, but then this was just such a different take on it because it was also combined with Suzuki. Mm-hmm. which is more physical and far East and, and that Japanese training on top of viewpoints, which is dance oriented. It, it comes off of dance, mm-hmm. but it's really about the body and how it is a piece of the art on stage that I had never, that was not an instrument I'd used a lot. And mm-hmm. when I say, and me, many people think, you know, singing, acting, dancing, but the physicality of theater and how you use your shape and use your movements really opened up my mind to the instrument you use when you're on stage and how it can affect you, you know, affect the audience, I should say. Mm. And that's, and that really became a part of your process. Oh, huge part. Yeah. I remember when we did Vanya, Sonia, Masha, Spike, right. I remember getting a great compliment from Joy Vanderhart Cobb when she, she was just like, I, I watch your body mold into that right before and mm-hmm. i'm like yeah that's and i'm you know convulsion is going to have a lot of that too i'm very excited about so it's an interesting thing because you were talking about before about <clears throat> i think a bad name is giving to mimicry like especially when it comes to actors mm-hmm. because really mimicry is a physical sense you're basically taking on something and then you're re- reprocessing it physically yeah. yeah and like you're talking about keeper sullivan you're giving us keeper you know you're giving mm-hmm. us that but it really is the difference is just knowing what you're doing as far as mm-hmm. like those those processes go and i think that's what viewpoints really does and really the big difference between theater and film because it's like theater is alive in the body whereas film is just yeah your eyes you have to see the thoughts yeah yeah and anthony hopkins talked about he was like i always stole from people yeah i love there's a great little video going around and it's Dave Grohl was being inter- interviewed by Pharrell. He's interesting. Oh, he is so yeah, interesting. Yeah. And, and he's talking about, Dave Grohl was talking about how the Nirvana beats and, and like literally smells like teen spirit. That beginning mm-hmm. drum is mm-hmm. disco. Yeah. He's like, I totally ripped off this one specific drummer and it's the gap band. He ripped off the gap and you hear it. And it's like, that's the gap band. I hear it. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. yeah. And that is, that's totally it. It's, it's, and it's not, I don't believe it's, I don't believe it's stealing. I think it's inspiration. Yeah. It is inspiration. It's like, oh, this person has done something. And it's not a, I'm a cover band. Yeah. Acting like them. Yeah. I'm taking that inspiration and making it my own, my version of it. It's filling the sales. I mean, and two, it's like, 
I mean, I think it really is not repurposing, but it's like, it's what we all are doing anyway. And when you think about actors and like what really comes from actors is the interpretation in a way, mm -hmm. and it comes from somewhere, but you are writing, you know, you're a writer as well. Yeah. So it's like, it's not that far off. It's just when you're acting and you're writing, nobody ever sees that. Yeah. So that's kind of the work you're doing kind of in your head. Right. Yeah. I'm literally, I'm, I'm in the process of writing what I consider a sci-fi theater piece. Cause I don't think you'd ever see that. That's awesome. And I'm like, am I stealing Blade Runner right now? <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to, I'm not, yeah, I'm trying yeah. not to, you know, those inspirations of sci-fi yeah. and I'm like, ah, yeah. So, well, it's always such a great question of like, too, sometimes I think you start out when it, when it Austin Cleon says good artists create great art steal. I mean, it's, you're just, you just look at it enough to go, okay, what's mm -hmm. the take? What kind of takes it into the next thing? Yeah. But I was talking to Sharon the other day. I think genre theater is going to happen. I think that's going to be a thing coming up. So that's like, I think you're right on the, right on the cusp of that. Yeah. How did that, how did that come to you? How did that like idea it's something I've just been toying with in my head for years of yeah. how could you do science And I'm not saying, I mean, I'm not, I mean, there's different types of science fiction. You could go from alien to severance. Sure. Severance is science fiction. It's yeah. set in an office, but that's science fiction. The thing was awesome. Oh, it's, oh, it's, yeah. oh, I can't wait for season two. <laughs> but yeah. And so where, yeah, I guess it's, so that mind was kind of, that, that, idea was percolating in there. And then I went to go pick up my daughter from New York and I'm stuck in a hotel in a crappy hotel in Queens that looked much better in the picture. <laughs> and she was supposed to spend time with me and she spent time with her friends that night and I'm stuck in this hotel. And I was like, I'm gonna do some writing. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I, do, I dove into that. And, um, and then I found out like a little brewery around there, which I really liked. And did some more writing when I was over there. So, and just, so that kind of sparked it and I keep going back to it. I keep doing shows though. When I get into a show, I, I have to stop. I can't, yeah. I can't spread myself that thin. Well, you are, I mean, you're working like the, it's that one thing at a time almost. Yeah. So a number, so I have, I have a great kind of how much you, a number is the Churchill. Yeah. What's her first name? Carol. Carol Churchill mm -hmm. play. And that really is kind of grounded science fiction. Oh yeah. Is it, is it more like that or is it, because Blade Runner at the time was grounded. Yeah, now it's it very, feels a no, it's very so, grounded. Yeah. It's very much going into AI and realistic yeah. human beings. Yeah. And, but then how those are manipulated yeah. and inserting memories into it. Right. And then how real that looks yeah. and affects. But then you can pull it out. Also, how can you place those memories into something and then it becomes sort of a surrogate for mm. something you've lost in the past? Yeah. AI, man. Mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> i mean it's like yeah yeah that's fascinating yeah a number which we yeah. directed here yeah. yeah yeah how many shows have you done up here do you know offhand i don't it i i want to say it's i'm going to say close to 40 yeah acting that's just acting yeah. that's not the writing and directing shows, yeah. Yeah. i've written Four, technically, if you count the shorts and directed at least that many, five, six. Yeah. yeah. That's a, that's a body of work right there. Yeah. yeah. No, it's great. Yeah. I mean, it's great. I, 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 I go through it with a lot of pride, you know, looking at those old shows, you know, starting with Jesus Hop the A-Train. Yeah. I'll never forget being in that small office right off the back of the theater and auditioning for you. Yeah. And that, you know, talk about inspiration. 
you know, I get to this town, we move here from Chicago. So after grad school, like you got to go to a major city. So we went to Chicago, but we were, I mean, I'm a starving artist up there. My wife is working. We have a baby. Our daycare is a one stop up on the L and we got to walk back with the baby in the winter. And I'm like, no, yeah. no, no, no. I'm not going to, I'm not, if I'd have done this at 20 without a kid, you know, yeah, I would do this, but I'm coming at this at a later time in my life. So that's when we decided to move to Charleston. And, you know, part of me was like, well, am I even going to get to do this anymore? Mm -hmm. And I'd done a little research and I, I mean, we were going to come to South Carolina and I just knew Charleston at least had more theaters than Greenville, Columbia. And I get here and I'm reading the newspaper and there's these two kids doing mercy seat. <laughs> and I'm looking at what you guys had done that year. And I'm like, this is, this is a common mind. Mm -hmm. I think, I think that they're looking at the right stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. So then I, I, you know, luckily you'd put something out, I guess, looking for people to audition to kind of build a, I think somebody gave us your name. Is yeah, it? I think that I think that's correct though. That might've been one of the rare times in okay. the very beginning. We actually kind of, I, saying, I, I didn't know anybody. I, yeah. It's hard to remember that far back, right. but yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah. And it's hard. It's, it's, you know, you start to think about all the work that's come through the theater. It's extraordinary. Mm -hmm. You know, we've raised children through the theater. We have children that are as old or younger than the theater. Yeah. And it's kind of fascinating, but it's like, we had, yeah, I wanted to count. Cause I'd say it's gotta be a tremendous number. So I audition and then you didn't have anything available. And then you, someone dropped out of Jesus hop the a train and you call me up and I started on a Wednesday and we opened the next week. Not much has changed. <laughs> <laughs> and so now, and then we're in the middle of the run and I don't know if the next show got canceled or what. And I suggested to Sharon, I said, how about David Mandel came on at the exact same time. Mm -hmm. So we joined exactly. you at the exact same time. And I said, how about we do true West next? Mm -hmm. And David and I will switch roles every night. And she said, okay. okay. And it was kind of a, once again, stealing yeah. from Philip Seymour Hoffman, yes. John C. Riley, who had done that at true West in New York. And she said, yeah. And you, you, you had me at Jesus hop the a train. I was all in when you, you agreed to do that. I'm like, this is my clan. This is my group. If you, you look back at like how small the theater was, everything, it would be awesome to like go back in time and see what those shows look like. Right. Yeah. It would be fascinating. Which was wonderful. We got to redo true West because, oh, yeah. and we didn't switch the roles. We could just stuck in the one role and it just, it, the first time was, it was rock and roll. It was a garage band. Right. The second time that was, that was poetry. That was art. You know, it, I mean, they both were art, but it was just, it, it was so much more grounded and real. Well, it's like you said too, it's like letting something percolate, you know, and the, how they do it in, in Europe, like was in Bulgaria when they'll do the show, they were doing the same show for 20 years. And if you think about as long as bringing that show back is in advance. And I think for both the shows we brought back, both for Beauty Queen of Lanon mm -hmm. and True West, it's like having that time to kind of go through of it and let it grow. It just becomes even more, yeah. which is a fascinating process. Just like we are. We, yeah. I mean, so yeah, yeah, it's literally capitalizing on that, our growth as humans yeah. and our experience as actors. Well, and seeing where it fits in character. 
you know, mm -hmm. when we did the Edmund Booth. Edmund Booth played Hamlet from the time he was 18 to the time he was, he died in the sixties. It's like the last thing, I think it's the last thing he did. Can you imagine? A 60 year old Hamlet. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's when it mattered a little less. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 There's still, I still have time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now you're talking about switching roles. Yeah. Which is always kind of a fascinating part. And that leads us into Compulsion, which is the next show that's coming up. Right. Known as Compulsion or The House Behind by Rennie Groff. Mm -hmm. You're doing some different characters in that. Yeah. And what's awesome about this is, first of all, I, I don't get to do a lot multi-characters, but very often, mm -hmm. which is actually, I mean, because I'm usually playing some major roles. But this is, while it's multiple characters, they all are just meaty and deep. And and so there's not, usually, you know, I remember back in the day and early on and you'd get, yeah, I get to play four different people, but three of them are just standing in the background and they, they got the one line of, uh-huh, yeah, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> so this is, these are all meaty and very different and yet similar at the same time. And because of the stylized version of what we're doing here, it's going back to viewpoints. I'm getting mm -hmm. to bring a lot of viewpoints into it. And I mean, working with, you know, two of my favorite people to work on stage with, with David Mandel, Camille Lohman, you know, and of course, Sharon directing who someone, you know, I, I just feel safe in that. First off, as an actor, it's not my job to direct ever. And there's some mm -hmm. people who feel worry too big about themes and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, as actors, I'm like, I no, that's yeah. not my job, you know? And I think pure, we do a great job of when it's my turn to direct, we put that hat on. When it's my turn to act, I'm going to put that hat on. And, and I trust your vision. I think doing both really teaches you that, no, I don't want to do that. You do that. I'll yeah. Do this. yeah. Which I have done a couple of times <laughs> with the stuff I wrote. Yeah. But yeah, no. So it, they're really fleshed out and really uh, they are driving the plot so much. And it's a very exciting. And I get to, once again, the the accents you know mm -hmm. it, we we do these plays constantly with accents and and i love that challenge but it is a challenge for me there's some people who are just so good at finding accents mm -hmm. it's hard for me yeah. and once again usually if i can find a person i can just rip them off right and i'm but this is an israeli accent and i've oh, never done that yeah. and so that one's i'm like i'm really trying to find that and just because you also want to be respectful to the peace and to the people right so getting that down has been part of probably the, the biggest struggle, but it is a, it is a beautiful script. And I think, you know, I think mean, part of it is puppetry, you know, cause it is about Anne Frank and it's about, you know, the publication of her diary, the publication of then play performances. And then it gets into the kind of that, the muddiness of who owns material, mm -hmm. you know, and this was based on real things that happened and a real man named Meyer Levin, although his, his name has changed. And it's not specifically his story by any means. It's just taking his, that incident and exploring it. And so just finding the respect there, but then having also this amazing Anne Frank is the overlying thing of all of it. Mm -hmm. And she shows up there as a puppet. And I mean, talk about a dog is always going to outact you on stage yeah. <laughs> and a puppet's going to outact you on stage. You know, somebody was just talking about the life of pie on mm -hmm. Broadway right now. Yeah. But there's so much, and you know, in all the themes we're talking about, it's like, the ability to play different people on stage is so much more kind of honored than I think it is on film where you're just kind of, you can't just jump into those other parts. And I think that, you know, that's, you're talking about the viewpoints. You're talking about being able to kind of move, take, it's just all the same themes seem kind of wrapped up in this one play. 
kind of the things we talk about. For sure. For sure. And, and yeah, that is it. Finding the physicality of each one has sort of been almost my starting place, mm. you know, you know, and of course there's still all the, the script breakdown you do and, and trying to find all the actual, there's, there's a lot of actual factual stuff you can take from that time mm. period and just to, but it always goes back to just simply honoring the words that mm. this playwright has put out there. Mm-hmm. And trusting the vision that your director is like, this is where we're headed. So that changes the, the like I said, I, I, I always have used viewpoints in ways, mm-hmm. but now I really get to go deep into the vocabulary of it because we are going with stylized movement. Right. So that really kind of expands what was maybe broad brushstrokes are now fine detailed brushstrokes as well. And really expanding the color palette of the movement on stage. Do you find your outside in? You know, and when I'm when I'm for the for for those listening, an outside in actor, somebody takes something from the outside and then drills it back in, whereas an inside actor generally picks something on the internal and then it finds its way out. You need both, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's like what makes it. But I think some people are more prone to they'll see a gesture, they'll see a movement, they'll see they'll see something physical that takes them inside mm-hmm. versus somebody who takes it from the inside and it's sometimes harder to get out. That's why those are better film actors sometimes. I would say four of the characters are outside in and one of them is inside out. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, As you were saying that I'm like, I realizing, yeah, there's three in the first act that are definitely outside in and the last guy, but the middle, there's a, the Israeli actor has been inside out. Interesting. Yeah. That has definitely been, and I I didn't consciously, I just realized that's what I did while I'm thinking back on it. Mm -hmm. Cause I don't necessarily consciously do it. I think it's just, I read the script and I attack it in my own way each time the way it, feels to me and yeah oh yeah i think you have to yeah yeah i think that it's like it's they're always different right mm-hmm. i mean it's like there's oh, never yeah it never is you never seem to be able to go about it the same way this last one we just did that i was in hangman that one was one that was very inside out i just found that guy inside of me real quick and and loved exploring what that was mm-hmm. uh, in such a kind of martin mcdonough cool you know as he does yeah and Plus it's kind of hanging and it's like dark comedy, which is my, I love that. Well, the language too. Yeah. You know, oh yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, we're talking about the theater, talking about the language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the best, I mean, his, his dialogue, Martin McDonough's dialogue, you know, luckily I've, you see that was my third beauty queen and behanding. Behanding. Yeah. And now, yeah. yeah. May he write many, many more. Please. <laughs> What a great conversation with R.W. Smith. Look for him coming up in the Lehman Trilogy, which will be running starting January 11th for five weeks. Also look for a link in the show notes or check us out at puretheater.org. Thanks so much for joining this week. Be sure to like, subscribe, hit your favorite, whatever you do these days. We'll be back next week with a conversation with Shivam Patel. Have a great week and keep it pure. Pure.